This is On Tap with Bill Clark. What is On Tap? I've had some of the best conversations over a pint of ale, a glass of Pilsner, or a bottle of brew. Conversations over a beer will include sports, family, work, hobbies, and the weather. But we won't stop there. We'll dive into what inspires us and what drives us as humans. I'll invite some of my friends, coworkers, mentors, and community leaders to share some of their wisdom, advice, and of course, some of their favorite beverages. We pray our conversation blesses you and helps you find joy in this journey of life. Cheers. Welcome to On Tap with your host, Bill Clark. This week on On Tap, I'd like to share a message I was honored to give at the gate on Father's Day. This message is titled, The Gospel, The Gospel as Property. Uh, today, we're continuing this gospel series, The Gospel as. And today, we look at the gospel as property. I don't know about you, but that's an interesting title, is it not? When I first, Duncan sent me the email, and he sent me the name and the service series along with the readings. I'll be frank, I didn't want to do this. <laughs> but that's not how we grow as Christians, is it? It's not how we grow as pastors. We don't avoid something because we don't want to do it. The gospel's property? I never put those two words together until I saw that email. See, nothing really came to my mind. Usually when I get a sermon series or a title or a bit of scripture, it's like, immediately, something comes to my mind and I'm like, ah, I know I'm going to write out. But I didn't write anything until Thursday and I got the email a week and a half ago. See, I could have just done this. I could have just, I preached pretty much to the lectionary one time in three years ago. I could just go on my computer search and see, oh, that's one of my good sermons. I'll pull that one out. I'll preach on that one. Maybe rewrite it, rewrite it a little bit to fit the readings for, we, for, the, for this time in our place. So if pastors don't admit that they do this, we do. We pull out some old sermons every once in a while and use them again. Especially when they're really good. But I haven't preached on this. I haven't preached on property. And I haven't preached on Mephibosheth. You see, when I read the word property, my mind immediately went to this. The racial tensions that's going on in our country. These racial tensions have their basis I'm claiming a person because of their skin color to be my property. Black people were called slaves, and in many cases, these slaves were treated very poorly. They were worked very hard, lived in miserable conditions, and didn't have the opportunity to become educated. Although slavery has been outlawed, biases and prejudices still exist today. We are aware of these racial issues in our country. But it's kind of been like a, a dark secret we don't talk about. 
As long as it's not a problem, I'm not going to talk about it. We keep it in the background. But now I see some real conversations happening. There's a lot of stuff out there going on and a lot of conversations, but there's some really good things that I have heard and seen. My biggest thoughts as I watch this is, will this time be different? Will change take place this time? Will biases be removed? Will we under understand the consequences of one person owning another person? and calling them a slave. Another thing I thought of when you think of the word property, what do you think of? Your house, your car, your phone, things you own, right? It's not a person to it. Just an object. And Paul used the word slave today. When you think of the word slave, what do you think of? What I just mentioned, right? A person being owned as property. It also can be comparison to being like a work, work like a slave. You see, the word property, in my mind, doesn't have a very positive feeling. And it doesn't have a feeling of hope. Like we know we talk about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So how do we see the gospel as property? Oh, that's my job this morning, isn't it? <laughs> so I'm going to try to get you there this morning, and hopefully I do, and if I don't, Please let me know, and I'll answer any questions you have. So we're going to look at this reading from 2 Samuel. And the kindness shown to Mephibosheth. I said that word about 200 times this week, and I'm still going to mess it up. But there's four main characters in our reading today. We have Jonathan. We have Saul. We have David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul and the son of Jonathan. David succeeds Saul as king of Israel, which is now united. But we know Saul doesn't voluntarily give over the title of king to David, does he? In fact, Saul was envious of David, sought to kill David on one, more than one occasion. So let's look at Jonathan. Jonathan is the oldest son of King Saul. Jonathan is the guy that would have got it all king if Saul would remain king, because he's the firstborn son. But Jonathan was also a very close friend of King David. Back up in 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the, son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was given to him and gave it to David as his armor, and even his sword and his belt, his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul went. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. You see, because of that friendship between Jonathan and David, King Saul, not very happy about him. So a little bit later on in 1 Samuel, verse 20, we read this. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that is David, to know your own shame, and to shame your mother's nakedness? 
For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for you shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered, his, answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled the spirit and to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So Saul rebukes Jonathan. It also reduces the mother of Jonathan from the status of a wife to a prostitute, what he says here. Saul is raging mad. In fact, what did he do? He threw a spear at his own son to try to kill him. He was so mad. Because what? Jonathan was David's friend. Not the best example of a father-son relationship to bring up on Father's Day, is it? But it's a relationship I'm afraid to say that men can relate to. Prisons are full of men with no father in their lives. Some men live their entire life trying to live up to the expectations of their father. Some men hurt so badly, so deeply by their dad, it affects them for the rest of their life. And they bury these wounds deep down so nobody will know about it. Fathers have more impact on the lives of children than they will ever know. There is no manual on how to be a good father, is there? I believe as a man, the hardest thing in a man's life to overcome is the effects of having a bad father. Either they're going to repeat the legacy of the father, or they will work hard to not be like their dad. See, the relationship you have with your earthly father, I feel it can affect your relationship with your heavenly father. If your father was a stern disciplinarian, you may look at God in the same way. If your dad is absent from parts of your life, Maybe you feel like God needs you at times when you need Him the most. But we know this. In reading all the Scripture, all the Scripture, I haven't read it all over time I have, but as you learn it and write sermons on it, all the Scripture that I have studied, God has never stopped pursuing us. Never. He's never stopped the pursuit of His children. He has never left us nor forsaken us. Back in Isaiah 43.1, we read this. But now says the Lord, He who created you, I have called you by name. Each and every one of us is called by name. He says, you are mine. You are my property. God says you belong to me. Let's go back to Saul. King Saul was the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel and Judah had split. And now they're united under Saul. They estimate Saul was king 20, 25 years, thereabout. Saul was appointed king by the prophet Samuel. Samuel, who we read from today, 1st and 2nd Samuel. But then David is anointed by God to be king. And Saul loses it, doesn't he? Saul is mad. He wanted nothing more than to be rid of the threat of David to replace him as king. Saul died by falling on his own sword in battle rather than to be killed by those who was fighting against. 
And then we have Mephibosheth. It's not a very common name today, is it? He was five years old. He was five years old when Saul, his grandfather, and Jonathan, his dad, died in battle. Mephibosheth is the only surviving male descendant of Saul's four sons and two daughters. Mephibosheth's feet were injured when his caregiver fled with him in battle, and he fell, injuring both of his feet. Mephibosheth was never able to walk without assistance again. So our reading today, David wants to show kindness to someone from the house of Saul, in memory of his dear friend Jonathan. David asked a servant from the house of Saul, is there anybody left in Saul's family that he can show kindness to? And the servant tells King David about Mephibosheth. King David has Mephibosheth brought before him, and Mephibosheth falls on his face and pays homage to him. Think about this meeting. Mephibosheth, from Mephibosheth's point of view, he's the only male descendant of King Saul, King David's enemy. Mephibosheth had to be thinking, this is not good. King David's either going to take me as a slave and work for him, or he's going to have me executed. Neither one's a great outcome, is it? But then we read this for our reading today. In 2 Samuel 9, 7, 8. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I can imagine at this point, Shibbeth lifting up his head, looking at King David, and thinking to himself, to himself, Did I just hear what I thought I heard? King David wants me the only male descendant of his enemy to eat at his table. And he's given me all my grandfather's life. But Bibosheth had to go from a feeling of great despair to great joy. He can't believe it. In his response to King David, what does he say back? He compares himself to what? A dead dog. See, Mephibosheth lived in the shadow of his grandfather Saul. Even though his father Jonathan tried to make things right, tried to make the right, to right the wrongs of King Saul in his relationship with King David. Mephibosheth could have borne the effects of being from the house of Saul. But instead, King David shows love to an enemy. Mephibosheth lives the rest of his life in Jerusalem, and he always ate the king's table. Again, not just perfect father or son, grandson legacy to learn about on Father's Day. Mephibosheth's family was pretty messed up. God used messed up people then, and he still uses messed up people today. God uses Saul, Jonathan and David and Mephibosheth and he is using us because we are his. We are his property. 
Even this time of all that's going on in the world, God is doing things that you would not even believe or understand, even if God told you. Do you think when they came to get the Chef, he thought he would live the rest of his life in Jerusalem and eat at the king's table? See, Mephibosheth was not the property of King David. Mephibosheth is the Lord's property. David is the Lord's property. Saul is the Lord's property. Jonathan is the Lord's property. And you, you also are the Lord's property. In fact, each and every person that has set face on this earth is the Lord's property. Isaiah 43, he said it, I have called you by name and you are mine. God claims you as His. You either belong to God or you don't. You either are on His team or you're not. There's no in-between. Let me remind you of this. When you feel pulled away from the good team, you still belong to God. He will never, never, never leave you. So perhaps on this Father's Day, we look at being a father through a different lens. My kids are not my property. But they are the Lord's property. So I cannot treat them the way I want, but rather I'm accountable to Him. As to how I treat them, raise them, discipline them, disciple them, and love them. Just as King David invited Mephibosheth to this table, the Lord invites us to his table. Jesus shared a meal with the disciples the night before he was sentenced to death. And he excluded no one. He shared a meal that night with Simon Peter. Simon Peter was going to deny him. Not once, not twice, three times. He shared a meal with Judas. Who betrayed him. We are all welcome at God's table because we are his. He wants us to sit at this table with him. And know the love that he has for each of us. You just came up to the Lord's table. You received the body and blood of Jesus. It's a living, tangible reminder of the love of God. And his reminder that you are his. See, God invites everyone to his table. King David invited the Kibosheth to his table. Who dines at your table? One of the things that COVID reminded me of is this. We got to eat together as a family every night, didn't we? Our calendar was completely cleared out. And you couldn't go to the restaurants unless you wanted to carry out. Then you still had to eat at home, right? We did that a couple times. But every night, we prepared a meal together, we ate together. And mom and dad cleaned up the dishes. <laughs> but every night we got to eat together, didn't we? We also, I'm going to confess, had a few meals with very immediate family, like on Mother's Day. But those meals are going to stick out from years to come. We're going to look back on this time and think about the time that we went on Mother's Day to my mother-in-law's and surprised her for Mother's Day. Because all this was taken away from us before this all started. So as we return back to normal, and when it's safe, you will once again be able to invite others to dine at your table. 
Who are you going to invite to your table? When I can, I'm going to invite Gerald to our table. So let me tell you about Gerald. Gerald lives in my neighborhood. And I've seen him drive through many times, driving past my house. I don't remember waving at him or talking to him until last week. See, I was out in the neighborhood and saw Gerald talking to another neighbor that I knew mutually. And he had stopped to say hello. So I thought, this is a good time. I'm going to say hello and introduce myself. Truth is, I was convicted to say hello. Gerald is black. Gerald don't go by Gerald, he goes by Young Jim. But he's lived in the neighborhood for six years. Six years I learned how I, I was talking to him. I was convicted because of some of the great discussion that I had heard that is going on with Black Lives Matter and after the death of George Floyd. I know there's all kinds of opinions and thoughts and emotions over this. But something good and beautiful can come out of this if we really look at our problem of systematic racism in our country. We have to do this. We have to allow ourselves to look within ourselves and learn from these events so that they do not repeat themselves ever again. As I said, there's been some great conversations that have convicted me, even though I know I'm not racist. But I still have biases that I don't even realize I have. And I need to talk to others who are not like me. From those conversations at my table, I will think about, I'll take a long look in the mirror to discover and remove those unknown biases. See, as I do so, I'll remember that I am God's child. And Gerald is God's child. And you are God's child. And each and every person I encounter on this earth is God's child. Friday night, we pushed all the limits of social distancing and everything else. I uh, applied for a permit to have a block party. I thought it would be a good way to get people in the neighborhood together um, responsibly with the CDC guidelines and everything else. We had live music, no food, just come, hang out. Gerald was there. and. Uh, he came up to me and he said, thank you for accepting it. My immediate thought was, thank you for accepting me. Because I'm sure it's not easy for him to live in the neighborhood where he sees other people out talking all the time. But as he drives through, he probably doesn't get as many ways that he should for the neighbors. You see, I as a Christian, I'm accountable to God. I'm accountable to God as how I treat each person. Why? Because they're His. They're His. So when He came, who are you going to invite to your table? This has been On Tap with your host, Bill Clark. Thank you for listening to the message I was honored to give at the gate back on Father's Day. The last question, in case you missed it, was this. Who will you invite to your table?
Who will you invite to your table to have those conversations? We pray that this message gives you joy in this journey of life. Cheers.